This is the How Did You Get Into That Podcast with Graham Baldwin, episode 14. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant Baldwin, and uh, you are listening to episode number 14. Man, 14 feels good. Hey, uh, glad that you are with us today. I hope these uh, episodes, hope these uh, interviews have been inspiring and encouraging for you. I hope you're you're kind of kind of seeing your own story within theirs. I know that that's something that I've I've noticed within uh, just interviewing these various people, uh, several people that maybe you're familiar with, maybe people that you're that the, their story is unknown to you. But there's so many just common threads between people's stories. And maybe maybe their stories in a completely different context as yours, but uh, I think that you can probably catch and pick up some different knowledge biscuits and nuggets that people are just leaving behind, some things that they're sharing. Here's some things I learned in my journey. Here's some things I'm currently learning in my journey that has led me to, uh, to where I'm at today. Today's interview is no exception. We are joined by my friend Ryan Delk. And uh, Ryan is one of the gurus over at the uh, startup gumroad.com. And uh, Gumroad is basically, it's a uh, payment processor that helps people sell digital products. Uh, I personally use it as a uh, way to sell some of our, our digital books and just a really, really cool website, really doing some cool stuff, not only uh, with publishing and, and PDFs, but also within within music, within art, and just a great, great way, a great platform for artists of all kinds to be able to sell their work. So Ryan's a part of that. And just a really, really smart, really, really good dude. We met up at a conference a couple months ago and uh, really, really hit it off, connected and clicked well, and have, have really uh, we've talked and stalked each other a lot uh, and harassed each other a lot since then. So uh, really, really excited to share uh, this story with you today. Part of what's cool about Ryan and what he's doing is he's someone who is just a hustler. He's a guy who's who's constantly reaching out. He's constantly networking, constantly trying to expand that sphere of influence. But really the way he does it is not just how can I meet more people for myself, but no, no, he takes a totally different approach, the total opposite approach of how can I meet more people in order to help them. And uh, so in fact, one of the things he says, one of the biggest lessons that he learns is to add value before you ask for value. I think that's good. I think that's so, so true. Like so often, if people are coming up to us or asking us for something, they want something from us. But what is it whenever you're needing something from someone else or you want to connect with or expand your network, what is something that you could do to help them? What is a way that you can va- add more value to them? Because if you're able to add more value to them, they're going to be a lot more open and receptive to being able to add value to you. Uh, one of the other things, that one of the lessons that we kind of pull out from today is just the value of putting putting yourself out there. Ryan, whenever he, he wanted to get involved in the, in the tech startup scene and wanted to move out to Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, and, and California, uh, one of the things he did was he emailed 500 different people in the tech space just to make connections. And he just, he just reached out to these people. It wasn't like he just sat back and he waited for something to happen or waited for these people to magically come in touch with him. Uh, he was someone who said, no, no, I will go out. I will meet with whoever. I will do whatever I can to begin to meet uh, and connect with the type of people that I want to connect with. So for you, are you willing to put in the work? Are you willing to put in the hustle and the drive to email 500 individual people that you would want to meet with? 
What, what would it take for you to actually do that? Are you that serious about making your dream a reality that you'd be willing to put in that type of work and that kind of sweat equity? Or is it just, again, just kind of a paper dream that's going to sit off on the side? One other thing that we talk about with Ryan today is just being willing to take a big risk and being comfortable with the outcome. So he's someone who's taken several different big calculated risks. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But the bottom line is you don't know unless you try. And so be willing to take those big risks and be comfortable with the outcome either way. So uh, as always, you can find out more about what we talk about. You can find out more about Ryan at the show notes at grantbalden.com slash Ryan Delk. grantbalden.com slash Ryan Delk. All right, I'll be back after this episode to uh, wrap things up, put a pretty bow on it. So without further delay, here is my buddy, my friend, my amigo, Ryan Delk. Well, today I'm hanging out with my friend, Ryan Delk. Ryan, how are you, dude? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Grant. You bet, man. All right, so you're working with this new little up-and-coming company, this little tech startup, Gumroad. What is Gumroad? What do you guys do? What is your role within this whole operation? Yeah, so Gumroad is a, a platform, and we work to empower people who are creating products, creators working in film or music or uh, publishing software, empowering them to be able to sell what they make directly to their audience. So the goal is to allow anyone who's creating cool stuff, primarily digital but also now physical as well, to be able to just sell whatever they're making directly wherever their audience is without going through marketplaces or middlemen. Okay, so you're cutting out the like the, an Etsy type of gig, right? Where I could I could sell direct to consumer now. Yeah, exactly. So you can sell right off your site or Twitter, or your email newsletter, or YouTube, or wherever. Okay, so it could be anything. I mean, it could be music, it could be art, it could be PDFs, it could be whatever. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. So, what's your role within the operation? Yeah, so I do growth. So I work on a lot of things, but primarily I'm focused on two main things. One is just the sort of the raw number side of it, which is, you know, how many creators do we have using Gumroad? How much money are they making? How do we grow the total number of creators using it, the total volume that's going through the system? And then the second piece of it is sort of brand awareness and relationships that will drive brand awareness in a lot of the key verticals that we work in. So those are mostly film, publishing, music, and sort of software plugins, that whole market. So working to just increase Gumroad's presence in those areas so that when, you know, ideally in a few years, whenever someone thinks about, you know, how do I distribute my album or my piece of software or my book, we're immediately something that's being discussed. So yeah, that's, that's sort of how I spend my time. Beautiful. And you guys are based out of uh, San Francisco, Silicon Valley. Where, where are you at? Yeah, we're in the city up in San Francisco. Nice. Now, is this something like just the whole software side of things? Is that something that's always appealed to you, something that you always wanted to do or something you kind of stumbled into? I think I was always interested in being part of something, building something really cool. So either starting my own company or teaming up with people who are, who are doing something awesome. I don't think that I was necessarily always, you know, from a really young age, obsessed with tech startups. I was really into technology and I was excited about it and I was always into the latest gadgets and cool things that were going on. But it wasn't necessarily something that I was, you know, dead set on in terms of tech startups until probably my freshman year of college, I think, was when I sort of decided this is where I wanted to go. Nice. All right. So let's backtrack a little bit. So growing up, you're born and raised where? Born in Atlanta, raised in Orlando, Florida. Okay. So what, uh, like as a kid, what were some of the things you wanted to be when you, when you grew up? So I was really, I don't know, so I, I was into, I got really into finance, thought I wanted to be probably in banking, like when I was in high school and do like investment banking or work on Wall Street. So that was like the, the first real career path that I was really excited about. 
but I was always like growing up, I was always trying different ways to make money. Like I had a lawn service and I would flip iPhones that I would buy on Craigslist and fix crack screens and resell them and just like things like that, like sort of silly things that I would always do to make money or little companies that I would start or, or whatever. So I was always sort of interested in finding ways to create value for people and get them to pay me for it. And then that sort of started to manifest itself, you know, within the tech world and within startups. Where do you think that comes from? Because I've I've had that conversation with uh, a lot of entrepreneurs. It's just like, I was the same way. Like as a kid, I was just fascinated by making money. And I wasn't really sure what that would look like long term. But I just knew like as a kid, like if I have money, I can buy stuff. And I wanted to be able to do that. So is that something for you? Do you felt like that it came from your parents or just like your background or your world? Or where does that come from for you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my parents definitely encouraged me to to try things and to start projects or companies or whatever I was working on. So there was definitely a lot of they probably did catalyzed a lot of the things that I certainly would have done if they you know had been telling me not to do it and probably wouldn't have done as much of it if they hadn't encouraged it. So there was certainly an aspect of that. I think for me, a lot of it was just I was excited about this idea that I could do something that was valuable to someone else, and then they would then in turn pay me for it. And they were happy to do that. Like they, it wasn't like I was ripping them off. It was like they were really excited about the fact that I would do X for them or give them X and then they would give me money in return and they'd be happy about it. And so I think I got really excited about that idea. And also as a kid, I think, I mean, it's sort of always this way, but money some, in some ways represents freedom. Like when you're, when you're growing up and a very small amount of money can represent a relatively large amount of freedom when you're 15 years old. And so you know, if you can find a way to make 250 bucks and when you're 14, that's something that a lot of your friends don't have money that they're making on their own and, you know, it allows you to do fun things and buy cool stuff. So I think that was, and also I was really, I really enjoyed like investing and saving and figuring out like cool things to do with the money. So I think in a lot of ways for me, it was also just how do I figure out how to make money that's not my parents giving me an allowance. I was really excited about that. Nice. So you want to do the uh, investment banking route. You, uh, you go to college and is that kind of what you're majoring in? Is that kind of the, the planned path in your mind? Yes, I did business. I was majoring in economics. I my freshman year, I did a internship at a bank in Orlando, um, which was not. I mean, it wasn't like a full on investment bank or anything, but I was working in sort of small to medium sized business loans, like ten to forty million dollar loans for businesses in in Central Florida mostly, and uh, I enjoyed it. And I thought that was like the path I wanted to go, but I realized that it was just it was not. Uh, by the end of the summer, I realized it wasn't for me. And I learned a lot. It was a great experience and there was great people there, but I realized pretty quickly that it wasn't the direction I wanted to head. And so then the next summer, I, I sort of had this mindset that like my the internship I did junior year, I wanted it to tie in directly to whatever I did full time after I graduated. So I had this mindset of my sophomore year internship, I wanted to do something crazy. I just sort of like off the wall and what would be the craziest thing I could do for three months. And so there's this guy and we had some mutual friends from the church my parents or my family went to growing up in Orlando. And I reached out to him and he was a TED fellow. He had this thing called the iHub in Nairobi. He had started a bunch of companies and he was just an awesome guy doing really cool things in Kenya. And so I reached out to him and ended up going over there to sort of help run the business side of things for this sort of tech co-working incubator space and these conferences he was putting on. And it was there really that I decided that tech was where I wanted to go in and that I wanted to move to San Francisco and join a startup and all that. And this was in, this was in Kenya, you said? Yeah. So it's sort of crazy that I, yeah. it's sort of a roundabout way to San Francisco is going via Nairobi, <laughs> but that's totally how it happened for me. Nice. Um, so I you- definitely wouldn't be here if I, you know if I hadn't decided to do that and took that chance. 
let's backtrack for a second. So you go to, uh, so you do that, that first internship with the bank and you do that, you said between the freshman and sophomore year of college? Yeah. During that summer. So you come back from that. At that point, you're majoring in banking. You realize this isn't for me. How quickly into that internship did you realize, whoa, this isn't at all what I hoped it to be or this isn't what I signed up for? It was actually pretty late, if not after it was over, because I I was so – it was the first like real important like job as a part of a big company that I had had. And it's sort of fun as like an 18-year-old to prove yourself and like – I got really excited about the fact that by the end of the summer, like they were giving me real projects to work on. And I was like this college freshman that was working with all these like 40 and 50 year old bankers. And they were giving me like actual work that was actually really important to them. And like, actually, if I messed up, there was these huge repercussions. So I think there was like a romantic, just, you know, draw to it that I saw for a while. But I think probably towards the end of it or or by the end of it, that was when I realized like I probably didn't want to be, it wasn't the way that I wanted to use my time in terms of leverage for creating the most value for the world and being able to have as high of upside as, as possible. Meaning you just felt like you were just doing a lot of business to business type stuff and you were, there's only so much you could do and only so much time in a day. Yeah. And I just think, uh, I really, I think a lot about this concept of leveraging time and thinking about like for every hour that I spend doing something, like I want to maximize the amount of value that's created for the world in that time. And so I feel like when you're, I feel like at, at a startup or at a smaller company, you have that, that number, that multiple on your time is much higher. And as the company scales, it can be much higher versus joining a larger company, particularly a bank. And, you know, you sort of have like this one-to-one correlation between how much time you put in and how much impact you have, if that makes sense. Beautiful. Yeah, well said. So you, uh, you do that internship, come out of that, not really your cup of tea. Do you, do you switch majors? Do you stay with that path? What happens next? No, I mean, I stayed with it. I mean, it was business, so it was pretty, I was economics, but I was really interested in economics, so uh, I wasn't, I didn't need to like change it. And there wasn't a huge, uh, I mean, there was an entrepreneurship minor at UF, so I did that, but it wasn't like a, you know, a huge program or anything. So I just stuck with that. And then, then I ended up pursuing this, this opportunity in Nairobi and, and going out there. And that was when things really started to shift for me. So what was it about that opportunity that, that appealed to you? Because, again, you're going to go in from a, what you felt like was the safe, comfortable route of the investment banking. This is what I will always want to do. And then this other opportunity and you, comes up that you want to go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum of let's just do something that's totally out there. Why such a dramatic shift from one end of the spectrum to the other? Yeah, sort of. that's a good question. I don't know if I know the answer completely. I mean, so part of it was I really just wanted to do like the craziest thing I could think of for that summer. And I just wanted to do something that I knew that I would never be able to do again. And that, you know, I had the freedom to completely fail and it wouldn't matter because I was only there for three months and then it was over and I was back in school. And then also I, I thought a lot about doing the course of this process. Like I wanted to be working with people over these summers that, you know, I would be, I would want to be in five years or I would want to be in three years or 10 years or whatever. And so this guy, Eric Hersman, who founded the iHub and a bunch of other companies and is doing really amazing stuff was someone I knew that I could learn a lot from was someone that I admired. And so I think just the opportunity to, to a do something that's crazy and insane that people would be like, you know, why the heck are you going to what are you on a mission trip? Like, no, you're working there. What? And, you know, people that just, it just, it's totally out of left field, but then also being able to work for someone that I really admired and that I was able to learn a lot from. And we still keep in touch. I mean, we hang out all the time whenever he's in the U S and it's, it's a great relationship that all spun out of that, that time. Is that the kind of feedback you were getting from parents, family, friends who are going, wait a minute, you're doing, you're doing what, what are you doing in Africa? Is this, what's this little field trip that you're taking? Yeah, there was definitely a, you know, a part of that. I think, I, I, the weird part was it was completely sight unseen. So I really had no idea what I would just be doing. And I also had never been to Africa and didn't know anyone there. And like, 
it was very autonomous. So I just got off the plane and like went to work. And <laughs> holy crap, what do uh, I do now? Yeah, so I mean, for me, it wasn't that big of a deal because I'd done a, like I tried to do a lot of stuff like that, and I think my parents and people that knew me well were not surprised at all. But definitely for like you know the larger people, like larger sort of like acquaintances and friends, were probably pretty shocked and thought it was a little bit crazy. But that was sort of what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something that I wouldn't have the opportunity to do or wouldn't you know be able to take a risk on like that anytime in the future. So you step off the plane, you're like, all right, this is it. We got three months here, 90 days to make something happen. How quickly into that did you realize this is it? I feel like I've stumbled on something that is just fit for me, that's made for me. Yeah, so it's really interesting. I and this is something I've talked to a lot of people about who are in college now. Is it, the weird part for me was I was considering coming to San Francisco for an internship that summer, but I decided to go to Nairobi. And because I went to Nairobi. Um, I was able to be sort of like a big fish, a bigger fish in a smaller pond versus coming to San Francisco and being a really, really small fish in a really, really big pond in terms of the tech community. And so what happened was all these people that I would never have gotten to meet in San Francisco were coming through Nairobi and the iHub is sort of like the center of tech of Africa. And so they would stop by. And so these are people like Marissa Meyer, who's the current CEO of Yahoo. Uh, and then she was at Google at that time, you know, just stopping by for three, four, five, six hours hanging out and, you know, talking and I'm having extended conversations with her and with a lot of people like that and have relationships with now, you know, that I would never, there's like zero context in which I would have ever talked to them or had that conversation if I was an interning in San Francisco. But because I was there and because we were doing something interesting, it created opportunities for me. And part of it was Eric pushing me into those situations and giving me those opportunities. But I do think there's a lot of value and particularly early on, you know, going to a smaller market or a place where, you know, things are just developing or getting started and doing what you love and being really good at it and being like the best at it there or whatever. And then moving, you know, to like a bigger uh, sort of the, the center of where those things happen, which for tech is San Francisco, but for other industries, it could be anything. That makes sense. Very interesting. Now, just as a, a random side note, how are all of these like big wig tech people bouncing through Nairobi? I mean, so it was everything was different. Uh, like, so for Google took all their PMs, I think, in a certain division to Africa for like two week trip, and so there was like fifty five of them that coming through or something like that. And so they stopped at the iHub, and then Marissa came back the next day for a longer period to hang out. So it was, you know, every time it was different. But I think that people were like, if you're a tech, if you're a big tech company, you're really, you know, interested in Africa because there's millions of people that are basically skipped over the entire desktop generation and went straight to mobile phones. And so the consumer behavior there is completely mobile focused, mobile oriented. It's not even mobile first, it's just mobile only. And so there's massive opportunities for companies like Google or Facebook or Yahoo or Apple to make a ton of money and to you know, grow their user base significantly there where Nokia has a, a huge hold. So for any of the big tech companies, it was a place that they were already really interested in. And then if they were coming over, it was just sort of, it was like the center of all tech in Africa. So they would just, they would come through and, and meet Eric and hang out and it was just sort of a stop on the, on the trip for everyone. It's crazy though. I mean, uh, that not only that they would make the trip there, that of the, any period of time that you could happen to be there, you're there for three months, that that's when they stop through and that you're able to make that connection. It's, uh, it's really, you know, serendipitous in a lot of ways that had you not been there, had you not taken that leap, had you not been working there for that, that season that you would have never made those connections and may have never may have affected your, your trajectory business and just work trajectory in a, in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. I think about that a lot. And I think there's definitely that summer for me was when I learned a lot about myself, but also was able to meet a lot of people that uh, influenced my decisions heavily then and also continue to be relationships that I rely on a lot for 
both like personal and professional stuff. So you come out of that, are you feeling like, okay, I've got a real clear idea of what I want to do now. I just got to find it or make it happen. Or is it more like I'm into tech. I like tech. That was a great experience. I know I want to do something with tech. I don't really know what happens now. I think I don't really remember. Um, I remember getting back and, or actually while I was there, I started writing, just like writing down and fleshing out some ideas for companies that I was thinking about starting, like applying to Y Combinator with and seeing if there was, you know, an opportunity just to start my own thing. And it was a couple of friends that I had that were also interested in this stuff that I thought might be good fits to start something with. And so we kicked those ideas around. And then I think I realized at some point in that process that it was probably better for just in terms of my journey for me to join something and you know be a part of something that I thought could be really really big and then dive into something starting something completely on my own and so I I, I really like the company Square and Marissa Meyer was like one of the first investors in Square so uh, we had talked a lot about it when she was in Nairobi and I think we I came back and I reached out to them and just said you know it was a company that I really liked they were in San Francisco they were I thought you know this company is going to be massive one day I, why don't I figure out how I can work for them so I reached out to them, started working for them while I was at UF, while I was in school, like sort of part-time. And that was, I think that was like for me the thing that catalyzed uh, the whole decision to then the next summer move out to San Francisco and then, you know, what sort of kick-started and sort of the domino effect of everything that's happened since then. So you pulled a plug on, uh, on college between sophomore and junior year, head west to San Francisco. Uh, were you planning on working for Square when you got out there or is it just kind of let's get out, let's just head out there. I know that's where I need to be and we'll figure it out from there. So it was actually the summer between my junior and senior year. So I, um, it was, I was, had one semester left. I was going to graduate early. So I had one semester left, I think like two classes. And so that was when I'd been working for Square for, I don't know how long, I think maybe eight months or something, and was talking to them about doing something, took a couple trips out to San Francisco, interviewed with a couple other companies. And that's over the course of that process, when I met Sahil, he told me about Gumroad, or maybe I already knew about Gumroad, and we sort of chatted about it. Uh, this was like March, March 2012 or February of 2012. Yeah, I think February 2012. And then that's what kickstarted that relationship, which then led to me coming out to San Francisco and and working on growth and all that kind of stuff. How did, so how did you guys first meet? How did you cross paths? Well, one of the trips I took out to San Francisco, I emailed him. I sent, I would just, every time I would come out to San Francisco, I would just send a ton of emails to people that I wanted to meet uh, and just ask them if we could get coffee for 30 minutes. And I think he was one of the emails that I sent. And so we ended up meeting up at Cyclass. He told me about more about what they were doing. Uh, I think, I don't remember the exact flow of conversations, but I think that he, I expressed interest and said, hey, I would really like to you know, be a part of this. And then, Followed up over email a couple days later. I think we got coffee again on that same trip before I left, and then everything was finalized within the next week or two. That's crazy. So you start just are you just kind of like blind reaching out to uh, people that you're just interested in? You want to connect with? You want to you want to meet up with? Yeah, I mean, I sent probably over the course of the last three years, especially when I was trying to get into this whole world. I probably sent five hundred cold emails. It's crazy. Um, you know, just the people that I was interested in, that I wanted to meet, that I thought would be, you know, people that could either give me good advice or there would be cool opportunities with, people that I thought would be good partners for Gumroad. Like, yeah, I reached out to, I mean, that's sort of like you have to hack your way into this. If you're an outsider coming into it, you're not, I mean, you know no one. And then if you're trying to grow a company, like in new industries that you know nothing about, you you have to, I mean, there's just no other way to do it. So yeah, I would just send a ton of cold emails and, you know, you learn how to do that better. I'm sure the first ones I sent were horrible and like, way too long and probably annoying for anyone who got them. But I learned and, you know, got better at it and was able to meet cool people that, you know, were excited about 
you know, what I was doing or my journey. And then they were able to help me. And yeah, it just sort of kickstarted that whole process. So, I mean, I think there's a great lesson there of anybody who's just going, man, I would love, I see these different types of people that I would love to connect with. I'd love to be buddies with. I'd love to just pick their brain for 30 minutes, you know, but do you have any recollection of like, what did you say in those emails? So like get the attention of some of these people that for you, you admire, but at the same time, they're busy, they got a lot going on. How do you get in front of, how do you get the the attention of those people from a, a cold contact? Yeah. Well, I just pulled up the first email that I sent Sahil. Bring it. Uh, Let's hear it. So we can we can dive in. Uh, this is pretty bad. Yeah. So I just I think he had just announced that he was raising money for Gumroad or something. So I congratulated him on that. Mm-hmm. And then I said, uh, it's been a while since I've seen a startup as innovative as what you've done with Gumroad. I love the industries that you're disrupting. I'd love to see. Okay. So yeah, the initial email was like, I would love to see if I can figure out a way to add value for you. I'm studying at the University of Florida. I'll be out in San Francisco February 14th to 15th for some meetings. I'd love to connect if you're available. And then I said, speaking of time, I don't want to waste any of yours. So if you so feel free to stop reading if you're not interested. However, if you are, here's a bit more about me. Uh, and then I just went through sort of things that I'd worked on or stuff that I had done. And then uh, just said, like, you know, if, you, if we can meet up, let me know. I, so, like, I like that you threw in the exit strategy right there in the middle. You're like, listen, if, if you're not into it, cool, stop reading, delete it. And I still like you. Instead of like... Uh, you know, almost just kind of just going on and on and on and on, and the, and the reader on the other end is feeling obligated and f- at the same time feeling frustrated that they got to keep reading this thing. Yeah, I think I learned. There's probably I, I'm sure I'd sent a ton before this, and I learned that people, you know, got pretty frustrated with when you feel like you're wasting their time. So that's probably what prompted that. But yeah, that was. I mean, that was sort of the email that that started everything that uh, in terms of you know from the government side of things, everything that I've done since then. So you go out there and you're 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 sending tons of emails, tons of blind emails. What kind of response are you getting from people in general? Are, were you getting a bunch of replies or just one or two, or what was that like? Yeah, I think I kept track of it for a while. I think the, like the average res- like conversion from cold email to actually being able to meet someone was probably like two between two and five percent. But out of five hundred emails, right? Yeah, no, it was definitely. I mean, every time I would come to San Francisco, I would have a bunch of meetings, so it was certainly like. Something that I was that I was doing a lot and trying to you know have ten or eight or ten meetings when I would come out for a couple of days, so yeah, that was like I mean I, I think the response rates are low and part of it is I I sort of like that that's I'm glad that's part of my story because I get a lot of those emails now and I try to whenever possible like I try to respond to every email and I try to whenever possible like meet someone or jump on a phone and sometimes it has to be like. Saturday at 6 a.m. or something, but you know, be willing to like talk to anyone who emails me and see if I can help them, whether it's like recommending them reading stuff or introducing them to someone or just giving them advice. Um, and I think that that, you know, if you sort of like hustle your way into an industry by reaching out to people and, you know, that whole sort of strategy, it then sort of creates this reciprocity when you want to sort of help people that are in your shoes a few years earlier. And I think the more people that are doing that, that are helping sort of bring along the next the next group of people that are coming in. Uh, I think that's just good for the tech world. I think it's just good for, you know, humanity as a whole to be helping people like that. So I know a lot of people who also got into tech in similar ways and it's hard to then get a cold email that's like the one that you would have sent and, uh, you know, not respond and give them some feedback and all that. Right, right, right. So when you're spending the time just Googling and looking up all these email addresses, you're typing out these emails, how are you kind of getting over, I'm assuming you've got some type of internal fears and doubts and insecurities that these people are, are just going to blow me off. They're not going to give me the time of day. This is a waste of time. What's kind of rattling through your head there? Yeah. I mean, I struggled and I mean, still continue to struggle, but definitely like, insecurity was a huge thing for me. And just thinking like, you know, 
why would these people want to meet with me? What would be valuable for them? So I tried to definitely fight against that as much as possible. And if I could, I would try to create value for them like in that email and send them, you know, attach something that would be valuable for them, whether it's like someone I could introduce them to or like a strategy that I thought of that I thought could be valuable or um, improving the copy on their homepage and sending it to them or whatever. So things like that that I could try to help with, I would try to do. Um, but yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you know, especially really early on, and I still deal with this, but you're, you're constantly thinking like, you know, what do I have to offer this person? Why, why would this be valuable for them? What's in it for them? And I think ultimately you have to realize like, you know, A, if you believe that you're talented and you are talented, like you're going to be able to create value for them. But then B, also, I think people enjoy helping other people. And so there's times where I'm sure people met with me, not because there was anything that I could do to help them, but just because they thought, hey, I'll, you know, I'll take a chance and meet this guy and, and try to help him if I can. Sure. And it sounds like even by by providing value up front with asking nothing in return, or at least getting nothing in return up front, instead of just doing like this massive 500 person mail merge, copy paste and just blast everybody with the same generic thing that I'm going to take the time and, and go through and really customize this and show here's how I can offer value. Here's how I, here's something I can do today that's going to show this isn't just a generic email to everybody, but here's how, how I can tangibly help you at this moment. I'm guessing that's the type of stuff that can really set you apart. Yeah, exactly. One of our um, one of our investors, Chris Saka, has this quote: uh, "Add value before you ask for value," and I think that applies to basically everything in life. But especially if you're trying to, you know, get meetings with people or um, you know, get involved in a company, um, because it just sets the tone immediately. From hey, you know, I'm not trying to waste your time. You know, if you do bring me on, or if there is something an opportunity here, I'm serious about doing things that are actually going to move the needle and not just you know wasting my time and just trying to have fun or, you know, live this life that I want to live. I think it really sets a tone early on that people are drawn to and that's refreshing versus all the other, you know, can we grab coffee emails that everyone gets all the time. Right. Add value before you ask for value. That's a gold nugget right there. Yeah. I love that quote. Delightful. All right. So let's play devil's advocate for a second. You head out to San Francisco, you haven't emailed 500 different people and you haven't arranged all these meetings and put yourself out there. How is life different for you today? Yeah, I mean, I see people doing this a lot. So I think I've definitely seen that alternative manifested in other people, you know, that have reached out to me and come out to San Francisco. I think it's it's tough because I think that you it just takes, you know, there's a lot of opportunities and there's a lot of people doing really cool things, but um, there's also a lot of people that that aren't doing cool things and a lot of companies that are going to fail and a lot of founders that you don't want to be involved in and a lot of teams that you won't enjoy working with and you know, just a lot of products that you wouldn't be excited about. And so I think it just really, if you haven't sort of created this wave of momentum before you get there that you can ride a little bit, you know, you're sort of just diving in to a sort of a zero momentum situation and you have to sort of take take whatever you can get. And I mean, I, I would like to think that over the course of two years since I would have been there, like I, I could have figured things out and, you know, found something that I was really excited about. But I think that, you know, it's all about like front loading that momentum and, you know, before you're diving into a potentially risky situation, like sort of mitigate those risks as much as possible and creating as many sort of, you know, potential opportunities or relationships or whatever that are going to, you know, sort of help you through that process as you can before you get there. Yeah, I think that's so smart of just whatever the environment is that you're going into, instead of going into it cold or blind, doing everything you possible, possibly can to just set, set yourself up for success so that when you're in that spot, you can kill it and you can get the, hit the home run and you're not just fumbling along, just trying to, to figure it out as you go. Exactly. 
Nice. What was it about Gumroad? What was it whenever you, were you just looking for a tech startup or something to be involved in? Or what was it that, that really resonated with you where you're like, ah, that's it. I got I to gotta be involved with that. Yeah, no, it was definitely, it definitely wasn't just, you know, find any startup. I really wanted to be excited about whatever I was doing. And there's a couple of things. One, Gumroad was something that when I read about it, my first thought was, why isn't any, like, is this really the first person to do this? Like, how does this not exist yet? Which I think is a really, really good thing really good gut reaction to have to something if, if that's the case. If no one else is actually doing it, that's a really good gut reaction to have and it's a really good signal um, for the product. And then the second piece was been someone who was really into music, play a lot of instruments, dabbled in you know, recording my own stuff. Uh, so I was a creator. I was someone who had, who had some exposure to the music industry. Uh, at one point thought I wanted to work in the music industry. Definitely realized you know, the pain points firsthand in a lot of ways for selling specifically music content. But, you know, I was pretty into, you know, I, I thought a lot about content distribution and I was, you know, my, both my parents are authors. So I sort of knew that world a little bit. And so I, I sort of immediately recognized the pain point that Gumroad could solve at scale. And Gumroad originally was very, very focused on like indie creators. So, you know, like people, like people that are making a film and then just going to like sell it to their hundred Twitter followers or sure. like an independent author or whatever, like at least for me, I mean, Sahel, I think probably had some of this vision, but when I first joined, like was thinking about it, it was very independent focused. And so I think that was a big part of it was the impact it would make for creators. And then the last piece was I looked at all the other successful companies that I admired, that I was excited about what they had built and all the founders and CEOs were product focused. They weren't like business guys. And that's not true now. I know a lot of sort of business focused or non-product CEOs that are very, very good and very smart. Uh, but at the time, that was one of my filters was I wanted to find, you know, I wanted to work for and with a CEO and a founder that was product focused and not business focused, mostly because I think that product drives growth and that uh, if, if you have a great product, it can solve a lot of problems. And if you don't have a great product, it's really, really tough um, to solve the problems that that creates. And so Saho was uh, the first designer at Pinterest, early engineer there. And so he, I knew he knew product. I knew he cared about product. He was a designer. So he's, he very much cared about the experience and the visual, the visual experience that buyers and sellers were going to have. And so for me, the combination of those three things immediately made me uh, you know, feel like this is going to be potentially a really good fit. And it seems like a lot of people, you know, that you and I know and people that are, are just trying to figure out what they want to do with their life are feel kind of trapped and I got I got to pick one thing and this one thing that's going to determine it all. And it sounds like, you know, for a lot of people and yourself included here where, you know, I'm interested in tech, but I also have a little bit of background in music and I've got this family connection with with uh, with books and writing. And so it's just kind of this this combination of, of several different interests and talents and abilities and passions that all kind of kind of come together to create this one thing that, oh, man, now that I'm here, this is a this is a great fit for what I could do. Yeah. And I think hindsight is 2020. And I think that there's a lot of other industries that I could have gone into that I may not have been as happy in and I may not have you know, been as excited about what I was doing. But I think if you are the type of person that can get relationships and build relationships and you know, figure out how to get partnerships in place and meet the right people and you know, create value for people and be authentic about the way that you're building your business, I think that scales across a lot of verticals. And that's like my particular skill set. But I think I, I saw a tweet the other day that like, if you're 35 and you're thinking about, and you're, you're like, oh, I wish I could code. I wish I was an engineer and I could work at a tech startup. By the time you're f like 45, 
you would you would be coding longer than a lot of the CEOs of companies that are starting now that have like a 22 year old CEO that's been coding since he's 15. And by the time you're 45, you would have been coding longer than than he's been coding currently. And so I think uh, there's this idea that like that first track that you start off in, you have to stay in. And I think that's pretty false. And I think you know if you're excited about something and you can get behind what you're doing and get really pumped about it. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities for people, you know, regardless of what your background's in or regardless of, you know, what you've spent your time doing for the past year or five years or 10 years. Nice. So I know, I mean, I know you're still young yourself, but if you were going back, if you were going to, if you were trying to break into the tech startup world or, or give advice to someone that was trying to break into that world, what advice would you give them or anything that you would do differently today? Yeah, the advice I would give would be to focus a lot more on the people and not the product. I think that Ultimately, and I got really lucky with Gumroad. It's, it's I'm work. I work with people that I'm really excited about. And I'm excited about working with that I think are really smart. Um, like I legitimately think there's there's people on Gumroad's team that are like in the top zero zero one percent of anyone in their skill set in the world, and that's a remarkable thing to have. Uh, so I think the people are. I probably underestimated the importance of people and lucked out there a little bit. And I think I I overestimated the initial the initial importance of product. I think product is super important, but I think it's also important to have a long-term view. And there's a lot of really cool companies that are starting that I see being dismissed on the fact that like, oh, well, their design isn't that good or, oh, their experience isn't great right now. And all that comes with time. And all that is things that come as you hire more people, as you get more talent on board. And so I think focusing on the people and sort of the, the broader goals of the product and where the company wants to go versus where they are right now is really important. I think I... I over-optimized for short term or maybe felt uh, there was like things that happened, bad things that happened or failures or whatever, things I would mess up that I got way too carried away in. And I didn't realize that like these, these short term like failures or things that I messed up on or whatever, like literally wouldn't even matter. Like I wouldn't even remember them in four months. And I think if I would have realized that I would have taken even bigger risks because I would realize that like even if I took t- risks that were two or three times worse than the risks that I took, uh, they still wouldn't have been that bad in the long run, and they could have, you know, pushed me into opportunities that were, uh, you know, even better than the opportunities I was getting. So I think thinking more long term about everything you're doing and realizing that the things that seem like a really big deal in the moment are, especially if you're young. Like I think as you get older, you probably have a better sense of this, but like I think when you're young, you have a very, very, you know, sort of skewed view towards the immediate time frame, um, and just taking a longer term view I think is really important. Nice. Great stuff, man. Thanks for sharing your story and your, your thoughts there. Uh, to wrap this up, how can we find out more about Gumroad and, uh, and, and if we want to stalk you online, where do we go? Yeah, so we're the company's at gumroad.com. Uh, that's all the info on that. And then I'm uh, at Delk on Twitter. It's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. My email address is r at gumroad.com, just the letter R. I try to be super accessible, so if there's anything I can do to help anyone who's listening, whether it's I don't know, just giving you advice or hearing about what you're working on or, you know, if there's introductions I can make, whatever, feel free to reach out and I'll see how I can help either via email or over Twitter is fine. Yeah. So however I can help, I'm happy to. Beautiful. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. And, and as a user of Gumroad, as someone who's uh, bought and sold on the platform, it is delightful. You've got to use it. So if you're making anything, whether it's art or music or a PDF or an info product or uh, cat, cat GIFs or whatever you've got going, you can post it there. You'll have it up and running. You'll be making money from grandma who'll buy that, that cat GIF. So uh, definitely, definitely check out Gumroad. Really, really cool. Great user experience. And uh, I promise you it's, it's better than anything else that's out there on the market. So Ryan, always good to talk to you, my friend. We'll, uh, we'll catch, you up, uh, catch up with you again soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Grant. You bet, buddy. All 
All right, there you go. Ryan Delk, uh, episode 14, coming at you from the How'd You Get Into That podcast. Hope you enjoyed that. Hopefully you were inspired and encouraged by Ryan's story and kind of what he's done to kind of carve his own little niche there in the internet startup tech world and how he's he's done that. Again, it's not like he just threw a resume out there and hoped that it would magically work itself out, but he's someone who was just said, hey, that's the kind of life that I want to have. That's the kind of thing that I want to be a part of. So I'm going to hustle and, and take some big risk in order to, to make that happen. So uh, as always, you can find all the show notes, everything that we discuss, all the links and all of that at grantbaldon.com slash Ryan Delk, grantbaldon.com slash Ryan Delk. So make sure that you uh, you stop by and check that out. Hey, while you're on the site, you'll see a few different places around the site where uh, it's got an email box for you. I would love to send you, we put together five questions that if you're really trying to figure out what is it that you were put on this planet to do, five questions that can really help you ponder and figure that out. So if you haven't had a chance already, uh, I'd love for you to swing by the site and download that. Uh, You can just put in your first name and email. We will send that to you. I promise we won't stalk you at all, uh, but we just want to, uh, we just want to keep you up to date with what's going on. We want to do whatever we can to help you in your journey to find and do work you love. And as always, feel free to just email me. Just personally, you can reach out to me, grant at grantbaldon.com. I love hearing from, from listeners and readers, and I would love to hear from you. So if there's anything that I can do to help you and support you, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. All right, that wraps up episode 14. We will be back at you really, really soon with uh, some more great episodes, some more great interviews from the How'd You Get Into That podcast. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.